You're listening to a sermon from the preaching and teaching ministry of First Presbyterian Church, Covington, Tennessee. Our mission is to proclaim Christ's kingdom through word and deed. You can learn more about us at 1pc-covington.org or join us for worship at 403 South Main Street, Covington, Tennessee. The reading this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 6. Verses 1 through 15. First, let us pray. Father God, we are a stiff necked and stubborn people. Like your children of Israel, we today, even your children of, of your inheritance, think that we are self sufficient and that we can understand the printed word, your word, without your inspiration, your spirit being with us. Even the most educated person without the spirit cannot understand your word, we know this, and even the simplest person by the world standards with your Holy Spirit can know your word. Let your spirit be with us today that we may have ears to hear and and eyes to see what you would have us to see in this lesson. Amen. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their field, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is coming to the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. The word of God for the people of God. The passage today is, interestingly, one of the only miracles, um, the only miracle outside the resurrection that is recorded in all four of the Gospels. Um, I think that tells us something about the significance of it and the significance of the message um, we're to receive from it. In John's Gospel, it sets us up for... uh, a lengthier discussion, the, the bread of life discourse, where Jesus is, is teaching how this kind of points to him as the, the, the true bread and, and him as the new Moses who uh, gives his people manna in the wilderness. 
Um, and we'll be looking at more of that later, but um, this itself is a fascinating um, passage and some of the things it reminds us to trust Jesus with. Jesus, we know, was, was leaving. He was tired. He was trying to go off by his own, but the crowds were still following. They had seen all the miracles he had performed and were still pursuing him. And there's this detail where he sits down. And I, normally the, the idea was a, a rabbi would sit down, and that was the position of teaching. So we would hear where Jesus sat, and then he began to teach. But we seem to have here sitting because he was tired. He was exhausted. He had been doing good works and his flesh was weary so he sits down for a rest you almost get the sense because then he looks up he, he holds his eyes up and he sees the huge crowds coming to him because they had seen the way he had healed others they had seen the way that he had met others needs and and there's always needs they keep coming we're told that it was passover drawing near Part of that is setting us up for the deeper understanding of, of what this is, but part of it also just tells us about the size of the crowd, um, large groups coming through on their way to Jerusalem. And so he asked one of his disciples, Philip, where are we going to get some food? And Philip, um, what Philip sees is the immense need, 2,000 to no would not be enough to buy just a little bit for everyone, much less people who have gone without for a long time and are now hungry. Um, that would have been about uh, nine months' wages for a laborer. And so there's a, um, you know, just an immense need that they don't have the resources. And then we're told that Andrew, who, brought, who was, had brought Simon Peter to know Jesus, says that there's a, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves. Barley was the common peasant grain. It was, um, you know, the, the kind of the, the low tier um, of, of food. So we're told how, how little it is and how common it is. And there's two fish, but what are they to so many people, to 5,000. What Andrew notices is the scarce resources. And almost comically, Jesus tells everybody to sit down, get ready for the meal. Takes up something, those in the back couldn't even see what, how much he had or what he had. Then he gives thanks and he divides them. And at the end, everyone is full. Everyone is satisfied. They're stuffed. And more than that, they take up baskets fulls of leftovers. They recognize that Jesus is the prophet. That is the one who Moses said would come after him. And they're ready to take him and by force make him king. I mean, anybody who could do that, provide for people like that, let's put them in office. So they're going to force him and put a crown on him. And he slips away on his own. We have, uh, we have big needs in our life. There's a lot of times we, we're overwhelmed with the needs in our life. I think there's no way we could possibly confront those things. Um, you know, I, I, most of the time we think about the stuff we can manage. 
you know, our day-to-day problems, issues with our family, things that can be addressed and that we can solve and we can take care of and check that off and we're done. But we also all know much larger issues of people we love that we see headed towards a path we don't like. We, we see problems that just can't be solved. We see others who... Um, uh, you know things we we see on the news where we can talk about it and we worry about it and then we just kind of ignore because it's really too big to even get our minds around i'm i'm becoming increasingly overwhelmed with hearing more and more of folks called in bondage to pain pills i mean I don't think there's a family that I know of that doesn't have somebody close to them that's going through that. I'm, I'm hearing more and more of people who have given up all hope and taken their own life. And, and younger and younger and just stunned. And I'm hearing, you know, I, I witness and see people who, you know, young men who just feel their life being forced to taking path to crime, see nothing else that could, other than being in the system that they're in. And I hear over and over conversations where we see these problems and we kind of think, you know, what can you do? It's horrible. It's bad. We pray for it. We love people. We wish there was something we could do. But the need is so immense. The need is beyond what we can get our minds around. We're overwhelmed, and a lot of times it's easier if you're overwhelmed to not think about it and to think about small things that you can take care of. Jesus asked this to test Philip because he knew what he was doing. I can't tell you how much hope that gives me. Do you realize every huge problem that we have, that we're thinking there's no way we can do anything, it's not a surprise to Jesus. Jesus, Jesus isn't caught off guard by anything that, that, you know, when you get the call with bad news, when you get something in the letter that tells you your life just changed like that, it hasn't caught Jesus off guard one bit. And he knows what he's going to do. He asks, where are we going to get something, Philip? Jesus is in control, even in the things in our life that seem absolutely out of control. So amazingly, the question kind of becomes, do you trust Jesus with your immense needs? Do you trust Jesus with the things in your life that are so beyond your control and so beyond even understanding how to begin helping out? Do you look at the things that kind of cause you worry and concern and say, I can give that to Jesus? Because, you know, let's face it, we always say that. We'll say, well, you know, I'll pray about it or something. But do we really believe Jesus can do something about those things in our life that seem beyond? Because I think we almost go to prayer as a last resort. What we tend to think of is, oh, I know a specialist. Or I, I, if we only had this law in place, it would take care of this. Or if, if we got this working, you know, if, if we could just get this person to meet this person, you know, something we can manage if we control, do we, you know, do we think the things that need confronting and need change 
take place because of laws. Because of the right people being in office. Do we think real change happens because we set up a foundation and get enough money? Or do we trust that the real issue is spiritual hunger that only Jesus can satisfy? Do we see the real issue behind all of these things is really a hungry people who need the bread of life? Do you trust Jesus as the ultimate solution for the huge, overwhelming needs that you see around you? I just wonder if maybe we as believers, the things that we worry about and we talk about, if we would pray more about. You know, if you, if you see one of those news stories that comes across your news feed and it get the more emotional response, if you would respond with more prayer based on how much emotion you respond to that with, if that might be a better way to show our trust in Jesus. Do you trust Jesus with your needs? Do you really trust Him? That doesn't say we don't do other things. We, we don't try to use the methods He's given us. You know, we, we, we pray and we trust, but we go to the doctor. We, we pray and we trust, but we speak up for change. But ultimately, do we trust Jesus? And the second I thought was um, also rather interesting, that we notice... The, the scarcity of resources. And the question we always would have would be, what are they to so much? You know, what, what is what I have to so many people? There's, that is, we're good at doing things in our own strength. You're all really competent, good people. Most everyone in here is really good at solving problems and fixing things. And, you know, it's very easy for us if we see an issue that we know how to address, that we say, hey, I can do that. I'm very comfortable with this. You know, um, I, I'm going to use Tim, too, as an example. Um, he, he's just immediately seeing physical things and things around the pews that need repair and fixing and changing and just, you know, brilliant solution of things that I don't even notice the need for. He just, he's got the skill and he's digging in and helping fix some things around here because he knows how to do that. And we're all really good. You know, if you know how to do money and how to do numbers and stuff, math gets hard for some of us, you're really good at helping out with, you know, stewardship. And if, if you are a teacher and you're comfortable with um, kids that, you know, are scaring other people off, you, you're, you're happy to come in and teach and do things. What I, what I find is what we don't do, obviously, is where we see that our inadequacies are shown. And our weaknesses are shown. And our you know, inability, when, when what we have doesn't look like enough to solve the problem, but what we have looks like a few pieces of bread and two fish to feed 5,000. So here's the question. Do you trust Jesus with your inadequacy? Do you trust Jesus with your weakness? I mean, it's one thing to say, hey, I'm really good at this. I can help out. It's another thing to say, I see a need. I don't see how what I have could help. But I'm going to trust Jesus to take what I have, to, to take what little resources I have to bless it and use it for His purposes. 
Do you trust Jesus with your inadequacies to help us meet the needs of ourselves, of our abilities, of our resources, of our giftings, and especially in those places where you feel inadequate? I... I do note also, though, that you know, very easily we can take that and we say, okay, now I got this, let me take control. But notice, even in giving, Jesus is still setting the agenda. Jesus doesn't say, okay, now you take control and you just go do it. He, he offers us, invites us to come in and give what he has, we have to, to doing his purposes. But it's still his purposes. When they decide he's going to be king, he has none of it and he leaves. It's still Jesus' agenda, even in our giving of what we have. Are you willing to trust Jesus with your immense problems? Are you willing to trust Jesus with your inadequate resources? And are you willing to trust Jesus to multiply by division? He takes it, he divides it, and in dividing it, it's multiplied. Now, let me just tell you, as somebody who is, the, you know, Graham knows to go to Robin for math homework for a few years now. You know, third grade is when it was said, I can't help you anymore. You're going to have to go. Uh, some of that, I just love the fact that math and God just, you know, he, he's beyond that. He's beyond the, you know, you know, you can't take the pie divided in half and have more. You can't multiply by dividing. But what Jesus does, he breaks it, he divides it, and in dividing it, it becomes more. Now, we know that just doesn't make sense. We know that if I have something, if I share it, I'm going to have less. But Jesus says, no, you share it, you have more. I, I, I want to take this and say, look, if I have the whole pizza and I, I divide half the pizza, I have less pizza. I mean, that's the way I understand fractions. You know, I have half a pizza if I give half pizza. And he says, no, you have three pizzas. I mean, it's just, it multiplies. It becomes more. But that's the way God does is you only gain by giving up. You only grow by becoming less. It's, it's the whole way of Jesus. It's the way we who follow Jesus see is, is we can't follow him and cling to what we have. We can't stay with him and say, I'm just going to, um, you know, not just my resources, but who I am, opening my life to others. Not just my resources, but my abilities of, of offering to do things and, and give of my time. That if I give my time here, I have less time. If I you know, give my resources, I have less resources is the way we think. But Jesus multiplies by dividing. We gain by giving up. The way to glory is the path of humility. The way to be first is to be last. The way to life is to, through death. The way to resurrection is the cross. It's the way Jesus went, and it's the way we are called to go. We give what little we have to the immense needs, and amazingly, He takes it and unbelievably gives thanks for it when we give it. Is that not amazing? <laughs> Jesus takes bread from this little boy and he gives thanks. The one who could turn stones into bread. The one who, I mean, obviously, I mean, he could have snapped his finger and nobody would have been hungry at all. But he took what the boy gave him 
and he gave thanks, and he fed 5,000. He met the need. Brothers and sisters, the, the miracles in John are called signs. He did signs for the sick. He did signs because signs point to something, and all the signs point to the reality of what Jesus is doing. We're going to see later in this passage that the, the bread of life is the sign it's pointing to, that it's not just being full physically from the bread, but it's that they are spiritually fulfilled in Jesus by his giving up his life for them. But I think there's a sense in which we're invited into that, and the good works that we do for others are little signs, not miraculous, but the, the same point of what we do when we feed people at the food pantry or go to the soup kitchen in Memphis. The, the same thing we do when we are, care for others and show love is to point them ultimately to the bread of life, to point them to the one who invites them to his table, to point them to the one who is capable of healing, not just physically, but spiritually. We see the sign and we live in a way that points others to that sign, to the bread of life. Let us pray. Lord God, help us to trust you with the immense needs around us. Help us to pray for things we can't imagine would ever happen. Lord, help us to trust you with our weaknesses and adequacies because that is the way you show your glory, not in our strength but in ways that show things were only done by your hand. And Lord, help us to live a life that shows that we trust, that we grow and gain and abound by giving and sharing and dividing. We ask, Lord, that we might live in a way that points others to you, that they might trust in the bread of life and be filled and have abundance of life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And you've been listening to a sermon from the preaching and teaching ministry of First Presbyterian Church, Covington, Tennessee. Our mission is to proclaim Christ's kingdom through word and deed. You can learn more about us and listen to other sermons at onepc-covington.org or join us for worship at 403 South Main Street, Covington, Tennessee.